Hello, I'm Kendra. I'm Olivia. I'm Lindsay. And this is our music podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the mysterious death of Elliot Smith. Stephen Paul Smith was born on August 6, 1969, to Gary Smith and Bunny K. Berryman. I thought that was a great name, Bunny Berryman. A lot of a That's lot of a people really... uh, on the show have had like uh, have had cool names. Like we <laughs> like Beck's mom's Bibe. Yeah, <laughs> Bibe. Bunny. Hansen. Bibbe That'd be bunny. a fun name. Which bunny. One? Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> Especially like Bunny Berryman. <laughs> so the family lived in Omaha, Nebraska until Smith's parents divorced when he was six months old. He then moved to, um, to Duncanville, Texas with his mother. He had a rough childhood, mostly due to a difficult relationship with his stepfather, Charlie Welch, who may have sexually abused him. A few of his songs were written about this time in his life, including some song, Flowers for Charlie, and No Confidence Man. He learned to play the piano when he was nine and was given an acoustic guitar by his father when he was 10. Around this time, he composed an original piece titled Fantasy that won a prize at a local arts fest, which is pretty good for a 10-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. Fame festival. Yeah. (laughs) Still, like, I don't really have any snarky comments. Like, that's such a bummer about his stepdad. I know. Yeah. So he moved to Portland to live with his father when he was 14. Good on him. Yeah. Yeah. Should have happened sooner. Um, He started drinking and using drugs around this time and experimenting with a four-track recorder. He it's kind played, of a good combo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe not that age, but whatever. <laughs> Plus, I think, you know, that's probably around the typical age for kids to start doing mm-hmm. that type of stuff. Yeah. Yep. So he played the clarinet in the school band and also started singing in bands, one called Stranger Than Fiction and the other one A Murder of Crows. He began calling himself Elliot after graduating high school and used the pseudonym Elliot Stillwater Rotter um, for the band Murder of Crows. He wanted to uh, change his name to Elliot because he didn't want to be confused with Steve Smith, the drummer of Journey. Yeah. Yep. So while attending Hampshire College in Massachusetts, Smith formed the band Heat Miser with Neil Gust. They both were big fans of Journey and Elvis Costello. <laughs> <laughs> Not big enough to want to share the name, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm like it's just funny because that music does not reflect. Like, man, I fucking I love Journey. Yeah. yeah, no, it's like I was reading. Um, I have that that uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom book. It's kind of like the the style of it is like Please Kill Me, except it's about like the early 2000s New York thing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, so they spend a lot of too. time. Yeah, they spend uh, a lot of time like on the strokes, and they're like, "What? What's the Velvet Underground? We were just listening to Rage Against the Machine a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> so weird." It's funny. I had a piano teacher when I was younger that taught me just Journey songs. Really? That's funny. Yeah, my bass teacher was one of the teach me like Tool. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like when that Schism song came out. Yeah, yeah that bass line. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, done. <laughs> Okay, so the band, with the addition of drummer Tony Lash and bassist Brant Peterson, began playing shows around Portland after Smith graduated in 1991. The band released four albums together, Dead Air in 93, Cop and Speeder in 94, The Yellow Number 5 EP in 94 also, and while signed to Frontier Records, their last album, Mike City Sons in 96. They were signed to Virgin Records at the time. The record was eventually released on Virgin's label Caroline Records because they broke up before the album was released. 
Smith had already begun working on his solo music at the time while it was still in Heat Miser. So that okay, I was like trying to remember the name of the band. Like I've never yeah. heard Heat Miser before, but I like Elliot Smith. So I'm like, man, I must really be a shitty fan. <laughs> I, I love Heat Miser. I, I like I like the 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 Elliot Smith songs from them better than the other ones. But they're that's still what I've heard. Yeah, but that's you know that's what. But people yeah, it's still worth like. looking into. I'll check him out. I guess they were all separately really good musicians. So that yeah, was the, part um, of the appeal. I think somebody that ended up taking over on bass. Maybe he's in. He was in that band. Is it quasi or quasi? With, yeah. with Janet Weiss from Slater Kinney. They were ex husband and wife, just like a two person. Yeah. Band. So yeah, somebody from Heat Miser ended up doing that, and then I guess um, those two were also Elliot Smith's backing band sometimes for like his solo stuff. They were. Yeah, he sent a tape of songs he recorded on his four-track to Cavity Search Records, which became his 1994 album, Roman Candle. Um, They said it was, well, what I was reading online was saying that it it was kind of a risky thing for him to do like the singer-songwriter acoustic music at the time because it was more of like the grunge grunge era. And like big alt bands and yeah. all that. Yeah. yeah, and a bunch of bands were advised to, well, singers, singer-songwriters were um, advised to make up a band name for their music so then it didn't seem like a singer-songwriter, like oh. Lou Barlow um, and Zebedo and um, Bill Callahan. Um, he went as Smog. Smog, yeah. yeah. So, oh, I, I did see that he was trying to, he originally wanted to get signed on Calvin Johnson's label. Oh, really? But the records. Yeah, but he didn't, it didn't oh, happen. I, yeah, I didn't know that because he was on, he, he was being on Kill Rock Stars. Yep. And that was, the, it's funny that you say that about the, you know, the whole uh, like singer songwriter thing being risky yeah. because I used to, I used to get Kill Rock Stars sampler CDs that, um, you know, most of the songs were like Riot Girl and then just like weird experimental stuff. And then like all of a sudden in the middle, there'd just be like this like gentle Elliot Smith song. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know who he was. And I was like, who is this sad boy ruining my good time here? Yeah. <laughs> so like I was not a fan of him for a long time just because of that. And then like a few years later he died and I was like, shit. So, yeah. And then that's when I kind of started appreciating him, which is unfortunate because I feel like that happens a lot. Yeah. When someone, you know, when someone too. passes away and then you're like, oh, you know what? Maybe I will check out there. I yeah. like intentionally tried to avoid emo music for a really long time. And so I think the only time I ever really like heard him was the Royal Tenenbaum soundtrack. Yeah. 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 Which he. So, and then I'm like, oh, this is a really good song. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And he was actually supposed to record. Um, a cover of Hey Jude for the Royal Tenenbaums, mm-hmm. but he didn't complete it in time, so they just used Needle in the Hay instead. Yeah. So. It's sad. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when I started listening to him, but it wasn't long before he died. Yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah, I'm like very particular about like sad boy music. I don't mm. do a lot I'll of it, like but I make yeah, stuff. but I but I make an exception for him. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's a good one. I like Damien Gerardo too. And yeah, yeah, it's like sad bastard music. There's like maybe a few that I'm like, yeah, yeah I like it's, that. It's it's, a, it's good to throw. But a if few they have the high pitch thing going, I just can't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. Die. I know what you mean. Yeah. So. After his first solo performance at Umbra Penumbra in September of 94, he was asked to open for artist Mary Lou Lord on a week-long U.S. tour. He released a split, a split, a split, a split seven-inch. I like split better. Yeah. With Pete Krebs in 94 as well. 
Oh, in that featured No Confidence Man. In 95, he released his self-titled follow-up album on Kill Rock Stars. And unlike Roman Candle, he... Oh, which he recorded alone, um, just you know, him playing all the instruments. He actually had a few other musicians come in. He had vocalist Rebecca Gates sing harmonies on St. Ides Heaven, and then Neil Gust from Heat Miser um, playing guitar. Oh, Rebecca Gates is a lady from Spy Nains. I okay. Think. Another good, yeah. I don't think kind I've heard of any forgotten. Of her stuff. Like, I think they just had a couple of albums in like the mid 90s, but it's okay. very good. So. Because of the success of his first two albums, it led to tension with the band and ultimately, you know, the demise of Heat Miser. Oh, there was a short film that he was featured in in 1996 called um, Lucky Three and Elliot Smith Portrait by Jen Cohen. His next album, Either Or, was also released on Kill Rock Stars, came out in 1997. That he, was like one of the big ones, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was drinking heavily and taking antidepressants at the time and decided to relocate to Brooklyn. I guess a few of his friends tried to have an intervention with him because they started to, you know, get kind of worried about his behavior. And that didn't go over very well. Yeah. It's like, fuck you, I'm moving. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty big move, too. I heard about that, too. Like, when he moved um, away from Portland... He's like, well, it's probably the last time I'll ever see you guys. Yeah. Because he's always making, like, really melodramatic statements all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess when he would get drunk, he would get really emotional, and his friends would have to, like, stay up with him all night because yep. he would get really, really, really down and you yeah. know, start saying things like, I, you know, will kill myself. So he, con- uh, he contributed music to the Goodwill Hunting soundtrack in 97, including songs between... Between the bars. Yeah. (laughs) I can't read my own writing most of the time. Um, And he re-recorded... Oh, he re-recorded a version of that song with composer Danny Elfman. Um, The song No Name Number Three, Angelus, Say Yes, and New Song Miss Misery. I was going to say, pretty much like the whole fucking soundtrack is like Elliot Smith album. Which is funny. I didn't even know that. I I never watched that movie. I watched it like two or three years ago, and I was like, holy shit. Like, it's kind of like when the Shins did, like, the Garden State soundtrack. Yeah. Like, they just used, like, half that album. Yeah. Like, they basically did that with Elliot Smith for Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, I watched the, I watched his Oscar performance in Miss oh, Misery yeah, me when he was nominated. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really cool to see his little white suit. And, like, just, you know, it, it's just kind of crazy to see people that aren't as, you know, super well-known yeah. out in the, like, doing Well, I feel like that, that was, like, was that a p- pretty big break for him, too, then? Yeah. Because I feel like that movie was such a it smash hit. Mm-hmm. Like, and so then everybody's like, oh, what's this song? You know? <laughs> but he lost best song to My Heart Will Go On. <laughs> that bitch. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I, I can you think of anyone that might not know every word to that song just from right, being forced to everywhere. hear it every day? I don't know, but the other day I talked to somebody that had never seen Titanic surprising and they're i mean they're like our age you know it's not like a it's not an age thing like oh they just missed this I don't think I miss of, it. are they male or female c ray <laughs> that's weird <laughs> oh wait was he yeah yeah i i could see yeah anyway i think i even saw that a couple times in the movie theater and it's not the typical s- kind of movie i would see but it had leo in it mm-hmm. i saw it seven times in the theater yeah <laughs> my parents always made me and my sister get up and go get more skittles when they're banging in the car <laughs> 
They're like, this is why the Titanic sank, because Jack and Rose had premarital sex. No, they didn't. They didn't really say that. It was funny, you know, seeing that Oscar performance because he looked so tiny on the stage because mm-hmm. there were so many people in the audience and it was yeah, such and a huge the orchestra setup. Yeah, you don't notice how big the stage is because there's usually, you know, mm-hmm. so many people on it. Um, in 1998, he was signed to DreamWorks Records. His depression grew um, pre- significantly worse around this time, and he began speaking openly about suicide. He even made his first attempt by jumping off a cliff. And Damn. Yeah. yeah. Broke that's, his leg, that's you think, or commitment. impaled it on something. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. Um, I guess it was in North Carolina. He mm. was intoxicated at the time. So... Okay, yeah, his friends grew increasingly concerned and they tried to help him through the rough time. I think, you know, that's kind of stuff we were talking about. Um, but EXO, his first release for DreamWorks came out in 98 and featured musicians Joey Warrenker and John Brian. Um, Warrenker was a session drummer for back in REM and then Brian worked on, he scored films um, like Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and more recently Lady Bird. Nice. But there's tons of other ones, yeah. Um, this album featured a mix of classical and rock, which was you know kind of different at the time, and it was his most successful album to date. He, while on tour, he was backed by Quasi, which we talked about, yes. um, Sam Coombs and Janet Weiss. Um, he had them open for many of his shows, and he would jump on stage with them and play, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of cool. I love it. Also, when I like to do, do that, that with their yeah, is really cool. Um, he played on Saturday Night Live in October of 98. And then in 99, he moved to a cabin in Silver Lake, a section of LA. And he was regularly playing shows at local venues. His cover of the Beatles song Because was featured in the film American Beauty during the credits and then also on the soundtrack. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, and his final album was, oh, his final completed album in his lifetime, um, Figure Eight, was released in April of 2000. And part of the album was recorded at the Abbey Road Studios in England, which I thought was kind of cool. Nice. I've been there. Ooh. Yeah, well, at least outside of the building. Jealous. <laughs> That'd be fun. I think yeah. so. So I was reading around the time that he was recording this, he started getting really paranoid, like thinking yeah. that his record company was out to get him, and uh, that he was, was being followed by a white van. Yeah, and eating nothing but ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> what would be your <laughs> What would be your food if you had to just eat one thing all the time? I I've already lived that life. Oh, um, <laughs> cheeseburgers. Yeah. Like, I think I'm the only person that I'll ever meet that can say that they, like, lost 30 pounds by, like, being on a cheeseburger diet. Yeah, you you know, you wouldn't think of that, but... Yeah, it, it really happened. I'm, like, aiming to do that again. <laughs> uh, probably tacos or mashed potatoes. Yeah, like fancy legit. mashed potatoes, loaded yeah, mashed Yeah, because you can dress them up different ways. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, when I, I mean, when I got my tooth out and I had to eat nothing but mashed potatoes, I was not upset about it. <laughs> That sounds really good. Mm-hmm. I yeah. could definitely eat that for dinner, but I'm probably going to eat a cheeseburger. 
<laughs> Mine would probably be tomato soup, which is kind of boring really? and weird, but yeah, I love it. But it could be like a bisque one day, it could be something yeah. else another day. Yeah, and sometimes true. I put like hemp seeds in it and different things, so you can kind of change it up a little bit, I guess. Yeah, you put like, do you still do bisques or do you like use like a replacer? Like- I, there's like a, a vegan version that I buy at the store with like vegan, gluten free, all, the, all, know, the, all the good stuff. All the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's delicious too. But my favorite is like this garden tomato soup. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so he had, you know, began working on his final album in 2001, and that, you know, like we said, showing signs of paranoia and not sleeping and eating ice cream only. Oh, so that, that was when he was recording um, from a basement on a hill? Yeah. Okay, I thought so it was like during right figure after. Yeah. So, close enough. Um, he was working on his album originally with Rob Schnaff, but... Um, they, you know, they couldn't work together. His drug use was pretty bad at the time. Which so, probably explain the paranoia and the, yeah. <laughs> the abundance of ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he also stopped working with his manager, Margaret Middleman, around the time. Um, and she'd managed him since, you know, around the time of Roman Candle. So, you know, from the beginning. He then started working with John Brian, but this attempt also failed because of his excessive drug use. Record executives met with Smith around this time, and he confronted the label about intruding on his social life and um, poor promotion of figure eight. He threatened to kill himself if he was not released from his record contract. So he tried to re-record the album with David McConnell from Golden Boy. And he, oh, McConnell said in an interview with Spin that Smith was smoking $1,500 worth of heroin and crack every day around this time. Jesus. Yeah, and he tried to OD on several occasions. His song, Needle in the Hay, was used for the Royal Tenenbaums. During and a suicide scene. you mentioned that they, you know, they couldn't use his cover of yeah. Hey Jude because he didn't finish it. So, yeah, that is kind of ironic that it was used during the... Att- like, suicide attempt. Yeah. yeah. Such like a beautiful song for that. I thought it was perfect. It really was. I think it, you know, played out better than the cover would have. For sure. So he stopped playing out around this time because he couldn't remember lyrics and could barely play. Wow. So sometimes there was a Chicago show that was really bad and he was trying to say that like his hand was asleep and that was why he kept screwing up the songs. I feel like if your hand is asleep for that long, even if that was the truth, (laughs) you should probably do something about that. Yeah. 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 It's like, a stroke. Yeah. So he and Chiba, his Jennifer Chiba, his girlfriend at the time, um, were arrested at in 2002 at a concert for Back in the Flaming Lips. They were fighting with the LAPD. They claimed that they were defending a man, but his back was injured in the you know the fight. They both ended up spending a night in jail as well. He attempted rehab several times and failed. Didn't you know? Didn't stick with it or found a reason why it didn't work for him. Um, but then eventually sought treatment at the Neurotransmitter Restoration Center in Beverly Hills. He received IV treatments with amino acids and saline to help him come off um, some of his antidepressants, and he was taking antipsychotics at the time and the heroin and crack. So he really so he was to, he was he was going off of the psych meds too. Yeah, yeah. Um, Have you guys ever like 
I don't know. I already told you about my Lexapro ghost. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's so true. <laughs> I know, like weird things can happen, especially if you're coming off that. And I had a know, weird kind of drugs extreme. all at the same time. Yeah. When I was on Wellbutrin, um, like back in high school, I remember like something got messed up with it, and I basically had like a bad acid trip for three days. Oh yeah, oh, I remember gosh. that. Yeah, my mom again. I didn't do any drugs. Like I had never done drugs at the time, <laughs> so I was like, man, like. <laughs> what is this? Like, no. And so, like, I'm never touching that shit again. Yeah. But, uh, and then, like, even, like, going off the ADHD meds, like, a while ago, like, it was a weird, like, two months. Mm -hmm. Like, I just felt really crazy. Like, I remember, like, crying at the bar for, like, literally no reason. And I'm like, I need to go home. I don't know why I'm so sad right now. Like, yeah, total basket case. So that does not help, especially when you're yeah. trying to DT from drugs, too. And it's if you're somebody that, that has made multiple suicide threats and attempts, yeah. I mean, you probably... You think that they would have gradually taken him off mm-hmm. that, yeah. but, but I know some centers are really... You but know, like the type of therapy about, that they put him through is pretty extreme too, wasn't it? I didn't read much about you know what they did there. Um, I had seen something about that, but I... I don't have a screenshot of it on hand at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, yeah, he had all those medications. The speed that he removed himself from the meds was like causing reactions too. But like, oh, but if it was like for the drugs also, then there's like all kinds of shit. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, you're fine. This was in what year was this? Two thousand one. Two thousand one. Okay. Yeah. So he started playing shows around this time again and tried to rebuild his credibility. When he turned 34, he decided to also give up um, caffeine, refined sugar, red meat, and he was still working on completing his, you know, his, um, his album. So he was hired to record songs for the film Thumbsucker. Oh, that, it wasn't, it was 2002. Sorry. Um, but... He wasn't able to complete that before his death. Mm -hmm. He died at the age of 34 from multiple stab wounds to the chest at his home in Echo Park, California. His girlfriend, Jennifer Chiba, was in the bathroom taking a shower when she heard a scream. And she, when she opened the door, she found Smith standing with a knife still sticking out of his chest. And this bothers me so much, but she She pulled pulled out the knife out. Okay, So so there's, there's so much about that. Yeah. So like... The neighbors heard them fighting, like mm-hmm. screaming, fighting with each other. And then she goes to the bathroom, supposedly yeah. to take a shower. And then he stabs himself in the neck and the chest. It was, they, they were both, both in the chest. Both in the chest. Yeah. Like one was upper though. But like, um, yeah. and then she comes out, he's got the knife in, but she was working at a place that had medical training. Yeah. And so like the, oh, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. She, she has a therapist training and she's a therapist, you're right. For children and stuff. So mm-hmm. like whenever you're like in a field like that, like you, you have, have to, to know basics. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I even had to do that stuff at my work just because you know I work with kids and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. And you have to take like a class on that and like like you are taught that. That I mean like, how many, don't take don't the pull knife it out. out. Yeah. How many movies have you guys seen where they, you know, show you don't touch the murder weapon or the weapon used in a crime mm-hmm. and don't pull it out because they'll bleed to death then or you know it can cause excessive bleeding by pulling cuz it you know it does more damage on the way out and yep. it also, you know, it's no longer plugging the blood. Right. So and then like the other crazy. the other weird thing about that is like then like yeah, that called 911 obviously yeah. like hysterical. Um, but then didn't talk to the cops. 
Yeah. Very, like very, one, very strange. Wouldn't talk to the cops. Mm-hmm. So he was, he did make it to the hospital, but was pronounced dead at 1.36 p.m. I think he only um, survived 20 minutes after making it to the hospital. They um, started performing surgery, you know, life-saving surgery on him, but it, he didn't make it. Um, his final album, From a Basement on a Hill, was completed and released after his death mm-hmm. in October 2004 by Anti Records. So on the morning, you know, getting back into his death, um, as you said, they were, they'd been arguing pretty heavily, said that he even said to her, which, you know, this of course isn't proven or confirmed by her at all, but right. that supposedly she told friends that he said that he was going to kill himself. Um, and they did find what may have been a suicide note, like on the kitchen counter, a little post-it. She produced a post-it to yeah. the police, like on the spot, um, and she also showed them um, entries in his diary that supposedly talked about suicide, which those could have been song lyrics. And that also, also weird. She knew what was in his diary. But then there's like other things too. Like so, it's like a lot of it is all like he said, she said stuff. Yeah, so a lot where it gets like really sketchy because there's some diehard fans that are like, no, she murdered him, and oh, there's yeah. like other people that are like, I don't like the dude's tried a lot to kill yeah. himself. But then I also like kind of random but have you guys ever like dated someone and then that threat happens it's yeah. like your worst nightmare come true it's like when you're arguing with like well i might as well kill myself like yeah, yeah that's a there. thing that definitely happens <laughs> yeah i've been too, there that too somebody and it's just being like, a therapist you know didn't have i don't know i mean i guess it's different when you're handling it in real life but you think that she would have maybe taken that a little bit more seriously mm-hmm. or but then at, at the least, same like, time like there's also do. like accounts like from friends that like don't even hate her that said that they, they did fought like the cats and dogs like yes. all the time like they very didn't tumultuous have relationship very tumultuous relationship so funny because they were also compared to sid and nancy a lot totally noticing um, a theme here right <laughs> no but, he, but then at the same time like i don't know like i don't know like if Mm, I'll save that thought for later when we discuss it more. (laughs) He was helping um, Chiba and her band Happy Ending record their debut album. He had brought them on tour with him and even paid for their recording expenses for, I think, one of their singles. He also was very involved in the recording sessions, and they said that those were very tense and erratic and that he was paranoid for much of the, the sessions. He, you know, one day would say that he loved the music and it was, like, the best thing that you know, they had come up with and then he, the next day he'd hate it and wanted it all to be, you know, never released or thrown away. Yeah. He, um, repeatedly mixed the songs and then one of the girls from the band even broke into his studio and stole the recordings to try to save the project. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's legit. Yeah. Yeah. That would, I can't imagine working with a producer like that. Oh, I know. It's funny. Cause he, you know, claimed during like the, the time when he was super paranoid and he thought he was being followed by the white van, he did tell people in an interview that um, somebody broke into his house and he thought it was, I thought that he was saying that it was from the label that he was so paranoid about, the DreamWorks label, mm-hmm. um, but he said that they stole some of his music from his, I think it was from his computer or something. Um, but now you kind of wonder if that's what he was talking about, that, you know, complete different thing and <laughs> that they stole some of his it's music. It's like also like sad because it's like, they're just trying to like, Saved their own yeah. music, but like it probably like totally tripped him out, man. Oh, like, I know. Can you imagine? Made it so much worse. <laughs> um, 
so I guess the couple, you know, broke up and reconciled or reconciled several, <laughs> reconciled, <laughs> um, reconciled several times during this time. Um, they had known each other for a couple years, but had only been together for one year. So the stabbing, the first stab wound entered in the sternal chest and angled slightly downward. So Your sternum is, yeah, yeah, like right in the center. So this one, um, the per- the depth of the perforation was about two inches, which is pretty deep. Um, yeah, because you can't really like stab through that bone, right? Yeah, yeah, and it kind of makes sense either way. Like, okay. You could, you know, angle the knife downward if you're stabbing yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you would do it straight on. Um, but also if someone else is doing it to you, depending on the angle um, and depending on her height compared to his, um, it also could kind of angle downwards. Mm-hmm. The second stab wound also entered the sternal chest slightly downwards, um, damaged the right ventricle of his heart. And the depth of this stab um, was between five and seven inches. Jesus. So the knife was a pretty big blade. It was an eight-inch blade. Oh, and Olivia's getting up to show us a yes. knife. So it, I measured a knife in my kitchen, and you know, I'll, we can put a picture online. But you know, pretty much like a big butcher knife that you would use is mm-hmm. about the right length. I don't know if it was also you know <laughs> as big as mine, but yeah, um, that's that's a huge knife. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like cringing internally. I know. I know. I'm like, oh, my chest hurts. Just oh, and just thinking that. of, you know, if he did do that to himself. That's fucking feeling, intense. That's very intense. So he also had a wound on his right arm and another one on his left hand, which were listed as possible defensive wounds. Yes. Yeah, right, which is like where all of this comes from. Like yeah. all the questions about was it his girlfriend that stabbed him in the middle of this fight that they had, like witnesses had heard them yeah. fighting, or I mean, like not. Well, yeah, I guess it'd be a witness. Like they didn't see it, but they all heard it. Yeah. Like, and you know that kind of explains why she mentioned the fight to the police because neighbors, you know, they knew it was probably loud enough for neighbors to hear. Sure. But it makes you kind of question the whole after. shower thing too. I thought it was weird when she was talking about taking the shower that she locked the door. I don't know. Do you guys think this is weird as I do? No, I don't think it's weird. Like, okay. I guess if it, maybe if it were me in that situation, like getting in a fight, I probably would lock the door just to, yeah. in case they wanted to bust in and, you know. Like talk about it further. Yeah, talk about it or keep yelling or, you know. Yeah, I yeah, feel I were, like I've never locked a bathroom door for any reason. But yeah. if I was, I don't know, if I was feeling scared thing. or feeling, you know unsafe or anything. I mean, yeah. I don't know the exact nature of their fights or anything, but yeah. I can see it. It's weird because it's like reading online too. Like there's so many non-sided sources. Oh yeah. And so That's much funny. like, it's really hard to weed through and be like, well, I mean, yeah, I'm sure like this person story. thinks this is right. But then it's like, I read one account and it was like this girl that was, friends with her like after Elliot Smith's death and she had all this like shit to say about her but it's because she was sleeping with her boyfriend oh (laughs) so yeah eh, like I don't think I would ever believe that girl yeah yeah she told me all this stuff but it's like but she's fucking your boyfriend yeah (laughs) so of course you're gonna be salty a little biased yeah So each stab wound um, alone could be considered fatal, but stab wound number two was what they said, you know, actually killed him. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Just be 
possible. Well, and then yeah. the other thing too is like they're saying like even like it going two inches in, mm-hmm. like that does not count as like a hesitation. And with most violent right. suicide attempts, like with self harm and stuff, there's always a hesitant. Yeah, because it's like your impulse is to stop. Well, that and sometimes you know you even you know you hit ribs or something else right. in the area, so it kind of have to like you know angle it around that. So exactly, that's where terrible. were the other? One he had one on his arm. Do you think it's it could have possibly at first been like oh, it was on his bicep. yeah? Oh, okay. And then so I was gonna um, say if it, you know if it was lower, that could have maybe been a hesitation. Yeah, they're like, yeah. just go for the chest. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. kind of a. And then like on the hands too. Mm-hmm. So, also another thing that I thought was kind of strange um, when she was giving her statement to the police. She mentioned that she had seen the two stab wounds on his chest when she pulled out the knife. And he was wearing a, a black T-shirt at the time. And you think with all the blood and chaos and everything going on, you think that you wouldn't see, like, two stab wounds. Unless she, you know, lifted up his shirt and looked, which maybe you would do. I don't yeah. know. I thought that was kind of strange, mm. though. I still can't get over taking out the knife. Oh, my gosh, I know. Because... The first, like they said, you know, the Terrible first one idea. could have done it. But then, like, there's but, also the whole thing of like, okay, like, just because of like how it was, like, I never read anything about fingerprints. Like, I feel like that would have been like one of the first things that they would do. You well, know what I mean? She told them that she pulled out the knife, so then they didn't really have to check the fingerprints in that situation. Yeah, that's, true. that's true. So she, um, I forget what I was going to say. Um, at a point, but I don't remember. Um, so the toxicology report found no illicit substances, just prescribed levels of antidepressant, anti-anxiety meds. So he did end up going back on. Yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he stayed off of that. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think mean, they only had to take him off of that when he was kicking the that. habit. Which you know, it's really hard Got on somebody it. to go, you know kind of up and down like that off of something and then back on it. And I'm going to um, have to look up and see what that method was because like yeah. it was like, there was a lot of stuff about that too. And yeah. I just can't remember the name of it. Cause I'm not, I'm not like Lindsay who can remember all kinds of great things. <laughs> it's like the most impressive skill to me. <laughs> it's always, memory. it's always useless things that I don't actually need to know. Hey, but they work out great for this. They so. do work out for this. <laughs> so he also had ADHD medication in his system the death was listed as undetermined, um, but the stab wounds were consistent with self-infliction, um, you know, except for the the lack of hesitation marks, um, which you know was more consistent with homicide, and the defensive wounds, you know, which made it look suspicious. So, you know, still the thing that sticks out for me is why grab the knife, um, but you know, especially with medical background. Um, but there was also blood all over the apartment, which I thought was strange because, you know, maybe she was up moving around. You could pace because you're nervous calling the police or something. But it also kind of could look like a struggle of some kind yeah, or, you right. know, he was moving at least or trying to get away from her. But like when she came, like when she supposedly came out of the bathroom, mm-hmm. like he was still standing. Yeah. Which like he crazy. hadn't collapsed yet. So like. It had just happened. Yeah. Like, so, like, I guess that would make sense, too. And if you pull out that knife and it stabbed the heart, like, that's going to be messy as fuck. I don't even know how you could stand at that point. Um, Have you guys ever experienced, like, any sort of, like, Well, I don't think he stood, like, after that. Yeah. Um, Because that almost, like, takes you down if, like, you have anything like that where it's... Yeah. Kind of makes you feel sort of faint. Yeah. yeah, So crazy. 
And also stabbing that much deeper the second time. I mean, you know, it could be adrenaline and he's in shock and doesn't feel the pain at that point, but yeah. you think that it'd be hard to get that in like that. Um, okay, so while the police were still at the apartment with Sheba, she produced a post-it, like we said earlier, um, and it said, I'm so sorry, love Elliot, God forgive me. And, you know, the diary entry that I mentioned, mm -hmm. she... Um, there was like things about that too, where like people were like, "What? He didn't even spell his name right." But they're like, "That could have just that was been in the coroner's report." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The the post-it note it was correct. That's yeah. what I thought yeah. because it's like, yeah, that was what I was going to get at too. Is I One think thing, it was just the coroner just miswrote it. Yeah, no big deal. I thought it was really strange when I was reading the autopsy report that they give them a lot of information about you know, what possibly could have happened to the person because you think that it would, you know, accidentally influence the report in some way because they told sure. the coroner all about his, you know, um, suicidal claims in the past and um, problems with addiction and different meds. And um, that was mentioned in her report. So, mm -hmm. you know, you wonder if she didn't know that and she just, which I guess like that is, you know, that happens with every crime. Um, but you wonder if she would come to the same conclusion if she didn't know any of that. Well, it was interesting too, because like, uh, another one of the websites that I was reading about it, like the, um, person that was writing the articles and stuff, um, had contact with the forensic scientist Yeah, oh. and they had them read through the coroner's report. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were like, also, yeah, I'd have to say it's undetermined, but there is like so many things for it being suicide and only two things of it being a homicide. Yeah. So they weren't they weren't totally writing off the possibility, but they were like it was strongly supporting mm -hmm. yeah. it being like inconclusive, I guess. So, so she didn't really turn up any new information yeah. at all. <laughs> <laughs> she gave an interview to MTV News around the time and claimed that she and Elliot's family knew the truth about his death. And then, you know, after that, a uh, lawyer representing the, his estate um, put out the statement that um, it said, Elliot's family has every confidence that the ongoing investigation will determine the actual circumstances of his death. And until such time as their investigation has concluded, however, and especially in light of the recently published coroner's report, neither Elliot's family nor anyone else can claim to know the truth about his death. And any statement to the contrary mischaracterizes the family's position. So they didn't, you know, they didn't. I feel like agree to that. that. I feel no. like that's kind of a wordly or a wordly, a weirdly, <laughs> weirdly worded. Uh, oh, until such time as their investigation has concluded, and such as, however, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like well, it super was, legal. Was yeah, yeah. Under the bus would be, but also being like, but maybe. <laughs> yeah, she fled to England shortly after his death, um, right. and refused to speak with detectives. Um, there were many contradictions with her story around the time. Um, she I she was, was also a user, though, wasn't she? She was. She and was a user like, and an even addict. Even though he kicked the habit, she never did. Oh. I didn't ever read that she had stopped or that it continued. Um, so like, I don't I, know. Like I said, like that's just coming from the website. So who knows? It's like I I feel like I just have to say like everything that I'm saying is based off of like all these crazy theories. So yeah. like if she wasn't doing drugs, like I wouldn't know. So yeah, 
she had <laughs> made a bunch of claims <laughs> of um, his self mutilation around the time, including like seven cigarette burns mm-hmm. and a bunch of other things that he had done to himself. But that none of that was listed on the the coroner's report. Say, and then there was also like talk from, that there being like a that. noose that had been like a fixture in oh. the apartment. Oh, strange! I didn't. Yeah, I didn't see that. It's part of like the constant threats. God. Of, like, the suicide and stuff. Yeah. She also gave conflicting um, accounts of his, you know, sobriety at the time. She told some people that he was clean and some people that he had been using again and relapsed. And even had a different story about where she was in the apartment when the stabbing happened. Mm-hmm. So she also told people that he had proposed to her and others that he was leaving her. So there was a lot, which... I don't know. You you just kind of wonder. I'm relationships like that, though. Yeah. It's like there is a like, lot of stuff. It's like, like that. every week yeah. that could change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one thing um, that I thought made her look bad as well, and you know maybe not more suspicious, but she sued his family in 2004. She claimed that he had agreed to combine their earnings and that he was going to um, provide financial support for um, the rest of her life <laughs> because she'd agreed to, in return, be his manager, housekeeper, cook, secretary, <laughs> bookkeeper, financial counselor. Huh. So she wanted 15% of the proceeds earned off of his royal, like his album royalties. Mm-hmm. And then she wanted $1 million for um, the contracted services that she said that she had already um, fulfilled. fulfilled for him. Wow. Yeah, she claimed that he didn't want his family to have control over his music and to do, destroy the integrity or change or sense or any of it. But it seems like that wasn't really what was motivating her in um, with the lawsuit. But um, I did read that she lost, but we weren't positive that that was actually what happened because yeah. it was you know all online. But yeah, what I had read about it, it sounded like it was still pending. But I mean, that's yeah. that was well. Quite so then the case is still technically open because right. it hasn't been closed, right? right. And like just strange. One of the only like, in, like she's been notorious like for not giving interviews aside mm-hmm. from that one immediately Indeed. afterwards. Yeah, um, especially since like. The statement, like, like that's a pretty harsh statement to put out to follow mm-hmm. up that, like, mm. um, but she did give an interview in the documentary about Elliot Smith, um, searching for Elliot. I did not watch that documentary, unfortunately. I couldn't get a copy of it. Yeah, I didn't yeah. watch it either. But I did read an interview with the director, mm-hmm. and um, because it was like a big talking point that she actually was in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it wasn't focused on his suicide. A lot of it was like about his life and like all yeah. that kind of stuff and talks with his friends. Right. Instead of being just like a conspiracy documentary. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't at yeah. all. And so yeah. they only That's spent cool. like about 15 minutes on that. But she did talk a little bit about it um, and gave her account. And the director said that he doesn't think that she did it. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. Like, mm-hmm. in, And they're not like buds that go back yeah. or anything either. So yeah. I don't know. And like, it seems like the take that I get from like his friends and stuff like that, like when they do speak about it um, on the internet, like I said, it's all just he said, she said stuff. Yeah. It seems pretty split. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, as far too. as the, the conflict, conflicting reports and everything that she was giving, I feel yeah. like people, a lot of people that end up being totally innocent 
often do that. I don't know, just from what I've read. So, you know, I'm like, I don't know what it feels like to be in that situation yeah. right. with those things happening and how your brain is functioning. And, oh, you yeah, know, sure. so I don't, I don't necessarily. Especially if you add in like that, drugs to the mix. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like, yeah. it's like, I can't remember anything. Yeah. Like you can't, like a conversation I had six months ago, I'll never fucking know what I said. <laughs> like there's no possible. That's why way. you've got me around to remember it for you. No, <laughs> she does. Great. But like, yeah, it's just, it's interesting because like then people are like, well, what exactly happened? It's like, yeah, let me just relive the worst day of my life for the 700th time. Like, right. It is funny though. Cause they say sometimes that when, you know, there is a traumatic situation that you do tend to remember very specific details. Cause it's kind of, you know, um, right. burned in your brain at that point. Yeah. So that is a little suspicious to me that she doesn't have like one straight story, but you know, she also could have been kind of glamorizing it for people. Cause it, I mean, that is something huge to talk about. Like, Oh, I had this relationship with this famous singer and right. this happened and I witnessed it. And you know, who knows if that had anything to do with it. Right. Obviously don't know the woman. So yeah. I can't say if that, you know, had anything, you know, if she did that at all, but there was like a Weezer song written for her <laughs> yeah, uh, after, after he passed away, mm-hmm. which was like about Before. Rivers Kimono. Like they had like Kimono. Cuomo. <laughs> 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 Rivers kimono. <laughs> it's gonna be that from now on. I like that. I feel like it was like a verbal typo. Yeah. <laughs> I may just start saying that now too. Um, oh my god. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway, Rivers from Weezer. Uh, they dated like in the early nineties. Um, like on and off again and all that kind of stuff and he wrote a song like just to offer comfort and support but then also how he felt weird about that yeah. so, was it on an album or was it just yeah like, um, I will find it I haven't tried to listen to a Weezer album after like 2002 so yeah oh yeah no me neither so I guess it would have been um, yeah. the other way okay which I thought was nice yeah you know so what do you guys think Oh, absolutely. She had nothing to do with that. I mean, other than the pulling out the knife part, yeah. which, but as far as, as far as her murdering him, absolutely not. I don't know. Yeah. I, I like, I'm undecided. Like I really, I'm not leaning hard either way. I'm leaning a little bit more towards suicide. And when I first started researching the story, I totally thought that, um, she had something to do with it. Cause I was like, that's the weirdest story ever, you know, stabbing right. himself in the heart twice. But then when you find out how many times, you know, he talked about suicide or constantly, yeah, which right. doesn't mean that he de- definitely did it, but I, I am leaning a little bit towards that, but I'm still, I guess, undecided at this point. Like I, I've always thought that I've never really looked into it before this though. Yeah. So same here. I remember the whole time I was always that, thinking like, bit. okay, like, have you ever listened to one of his fucking albums? The dude is a <laughs> yeah. sad boy. Like obviously yeah. I mean, it's like, the same thing with it's the same thing with Kurt Cobain you know yeah right and it's so it's like if it walks if it walks like a duck it talks like a duck it's a duck yeah but just with some of the circumstances it's just a little sketchy to say like a hundred percent yeah yes so I won't commit to that it's just because someone you know talks about it in the past and maybe attempts suicide doesn't mean that they like they actually do it right so but then at the same time like i've literally had nightmares about having a fight with a boyfriend and them killing themselves yeah so it's like it's not like it's impossible you yeah. know what i mean like well so, that's I don't like know. a total you know manipulation technique usually yeah. doesn't have any weight to it exactly you know and then when it actually does and but like that, that kind of happen. anger would explain like why you could do it like yeah, i don't know yeah, like i said like there's just so many variables yeah that like i'll never know yeah 
That, and I think part of that I'm leaning a little bit more towards suicide, too, just, I guess. Yeah. But, like, because it's so weird. I think if she would have cooperated and talked a little bit more and with the And not, like, left the fucking country. Yeah, I think that she wouldn't look so sketchy. Yeah, it's just, like, she just, and I get it, like, everybody reacts to trauma different mm-hmm. ways. And she probably wanted some privacy, but. Oh, of course. Yeah. I think Especially eventually with all these, like, fans, like, hating her. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, I would I would probably go into hiding, too. For that, sure. The damn lawsuit makes me not. That's what makes me question it, too, because I didn't know about that. Like her too much. And <laughs> it's like, oh, so all of a sudden you're asking for, like, millions of dollars. Yeah. Even, though, like, bitch, you weren't married. Right. And they were <laughs> together for a year. One year. But he promised me we were living together as husband and wife. Yeah, that's and that you never like, have to work but again. Can't and I, except for you doing, forever. Yes, I'm doing seven, <laughs> seven or eight different jobs for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just no. Yeah, no, no. That is that is a little sketchy. Yeah, yeah. But oh yeah, when I was uh, when I was looking stuff up on YouTube and everything, and like after I watched the Oscars performance, there was mm-hmm. a. Um, there was an interview on MTV with Carson Daly. I don't think that it was TRL, but it was that same yeah. MTV studio. Yes. So it was just really weird to see because, you know, I remember watching that show when I was a kid. After school and it was always, yeah. yeah, and it was always, you know, like boy bands or Fred Durst in the studio. <laughs> like it was just really kind of going back to the thing I was saying about the Oscars, like somebody that's not as, you know, widely recognized yeah. to, to be in that sort of environment. Was Carson Daly painting his nails black. and Yeah. <laughs> he was asking him about his tattoos. It's like the first thing he did. I'm like, of Oh, because he had the, the tattoo of Texas, and then wasn't there like a bowl? Ferdinand. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, because he was explaining the, the kid's story about the about the bowl that doesn't want to be in the bullfight. Yeah. 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 That's funny. But yeah, it was, just, it was just kind of a weird thing to see. <laughs> oh, I bet. That is weird. Did you guys ever watch pop up video mm-hmm. after school? I love pop up video. I know pop up video. Like I, some of the facts that I know about about oh, certain music videos, it's because I've retained that knowledge. Yeah, pop up video. Yeah, she's a fucking elephant. <laughs> <laughs> they they showed reruns of it on. Do you remember when they had VH1 Classic? Yeah, yeah. Which I don't think that's on anymore. But yeah, they had they would show reruns of pop up video. <laughs> it was really great. <laughs> oh man. So yeah. One for definite suicide. Yeah. And two leaning two towards undecided. suicide but undecided ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's like a tendency for people to try to throw the significant under other under the bus oh, because yeah. it's like always but it's yeah. a little bit more interesting of a story when, you know, there's a murder. I don't mean mm-hmm. to say interesting, but I guess people no, it is, though. jump on that. Yeah, a people wanna wanna more fascinated on to- with it. Mm-hmm. If it was like if it was a closed a closed case, like yeah. yes, this is a definite suicide because we have all of these things that prove a hundred percent that it's a suicide. Yeah, and, and it's just like just there are a few variables that just throw it a little off. If mm-hmm. they close the case one way or another, to um, all the information would be released eventually, and people could you know kind of see how the investigation went, which sometimes clears things up a little bit more. Absolutely, yeah. because you know we don't have all the information at this time right. because of that. So they need a forensic files episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they had that forensic files episode about Mia Zapata that I watched like oh, not too long that ago. Story's so sad, I know, because they finally. Uh. Yeah, it took years what, like fifteen ish years, yeah. 10, 10, probably more like ten years. And it was the DNA that, you know, wasn't it that they used to mm-hmm. catch the guy finally? Yep. Oh, yeah, because yeah, it happened what ninety four ish, ninety three. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and was that he like brutally beat her? 
before. I don't even know. The, uh. the singer of the Gits. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They have a friend's Actually, Files episode. I, see, I'm terrible with, like, musicians. No, names, you're fine. <laughs> but yeah. I fucking love that band. We and that sh- is a really sad story. We'll have to talk about that We'll have to. Sometime. Well, yeah, yeah, we'll cover that sometime. Yeah. It's crazy. There's a really good um, version of that. Or, you know, they did a really good... Um, wouldn't be they covered the story really great on True Crime Garage. Oh. Yeah, that's so a maybe, really good So maybe crime they've already podcast. got it. Maybe they've already got yeah, it. Yeah. I well, they definitely have all the, the great details and timeline and everything that you could possibly put in there, like all the good stuff. But you know, there's always, you know, tangents and, and fun stuff about. to, yeah. you know, <laughs> random facts to talk about. So we could Who knows? It's, yeah. give us a comment and uh, let us know if you think we should. Yeah. So thank you for tuning in, and this has been Our Music Oddcast, and uh, we'll hope to catch you next time.